Hello, friends. Welcome to another episode of the Pacers Pod. It is uh, July 26th. I'm recording at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Got a Today's my birthday, and so I've got the day off. Um, and I've had, been having a great day. It's 3 o'clock in the afternoon. And I'm going to indulge with my indulge myself a little bit more and talk about the talk about uh, the Pacers here for a little bit this afternoon before uh, I move on to the next activities that uh, I kind of have planned here for the birthday. What I've got cooking here uh, for today's episode is going to be very um, Tyrese Halliburton centric or focused, and it's because, let's see, I the last episode I did was about a week and a half or two weeks ago, um, and that kind of hit on, you know, the summer league and some of the roster moves that have happened so far this year, or this offseason, and there hasn't been any more roster moves since then, but I thought of a podcast that I wanted to do based off of a YouTube uh or a podcast that I watched on YouTube featuring Tyrese Halliburton uh, recently, and it got me thinking uh, some of his comments uh, during the, that I heard during that podcast uh, got me thinking, and it turned into this kind of Tyrese Halliburton uh, deep dive into uh, you know his potential, his goals next season, what that could look like. And so, and then that also kind of led into kind of looking at all the point guards currently going into next season in the NBA and, you know, just kind of like where Tyrese kind of ranks. I've got a friend who's a Cavs fan and they obviously have a, they have a good young point guard in Darius Garland. And, uh, you know, I think I, I asked him, you know, who would you rather take Tyrese Halliburton or, or, you know, Darius Garland. And I believe he, he stuck with Garland. Um, but I could tell he was kind of on the fence. And I think that Halliburton has the opportunity this next year in his third season to uh, kind of get more eyes on him. And, um, you know, he's he was kind of buried in Sacramento a little bit behind De'Aaron Fox. Um, and then not getting over to the Pacers until, you know, right before the uh, All-Star break last year. He only got 25, 26 games as kind of like as the guy with the Pacers. Plus, you know, he's a, he's a fairly young point guard, um, and it takes a while for those guys to develop. So I think Halliburton, you know, he's poised for a really big season this next year. Um, and yeah, so, so I'm excited to kind of get into this. But uh, the podcast that I listened to was called, it was called Unseen Hours, and it's by Drew Hanlon. So Drew Hanlon is a basketball trainer, and he's got some very... Um, you know, high-end clientele. Jason Tatum has used them. Bradley Beal, Zach Levine, Joel Embiid, uh, Tyler Hero. Well, our guy, our superstar, Tyrese, has gone to Drew Hanlon this summer and has done has been working out with him. I don't know to what extent, but it definitely sounded like they were spending some, some decent amount of time together. Um, and I'm not sure how long that commitment kind of is. It sounds like he kind of works with these guys, you know, over and over and over. I don't think it's just a seasonal type thing, but uh, that I don't know. But uh, anyways, 
So this was on YouTube. If you want to check it out, it's probably like about an hour long, but it's just Halliburton and Drew Hanlon talking hoops, talking, um, you know, kind of their relationship and, and uh, what Tyrese, you know, could kind of be in the future here. And one of the things, you know, that, Hall- that Halliburton was talking about in the, during the podcast was how, you know, he, he has, he feels like he definitely is the leader of this team now on the Pacers. Uh, Traden Brogdon, it's, it's clear. I mean, the writing's been on the wall since Halliburton got here, but it's, it's, the roster finally reflects the fact that this is Halliburton's team. He's, he's got the keys. He's our driver. Um, and it's up to the front office, right, to build him a good car to drive. And, uh, but, but, but it's, the runway is kind of set for Halliburton here, and he, I think he definitely is embracing that role. And, um, uh, you know, he, he's, he's ready. I think he's ready to kind of push himself again and kind of, you know, it's like one thing to make the NBA to be a lottery pick, and, and then it's another thing to establish yourself in the NBA, and then it's another thing to be really good in the NBA. Like, it's kind of a... It doesn't happen just in, immediately, and so um, so during the, during this conversation, you know, uh, at the, towards the very end, is Drew Hanlon is basically kind of he kind of calls out Halliburton and is just like, all right, tell me like who is Halliburton, who is Tyrese, like when it's all said and done, or like what like um, you know, and kind of left it open ended, and Halliburton said he set out three goals that I want to kind of that I wrote down that I want to talk about and just kind of um, think about, you know, with, with, with Tyrese's goals. So they're lofty goals. And, and, and I think that it shows that he has very high expectations of himself and he wants to be good. And, and from what we hear, you know, the fact that he's sticking around Indy, which I've brought that up a few times on this podcast, but just like sticking around Indy, the type of teammate that he is kind of getting everybody involved, being the leader, um, what was it? Just yesterday, I was listening to a uh, Pace Roos podcast, which are they're out of uh, Australia. Well, I guess the team they had the Pacers massage one of the massage therapists, or maybe the, the massage guy is from Australia. So they had him on his po- on their podcast, and he was talking about you know how how often and uh, like kind of the the culture change when Halliburton came over and just like what he's doing. Um, all that to just, you know, to summarize, just basically like this is, this is Halliburton's team. The Pacers are, are kind of going all in on this next era of, of what their team looks like with Halliburton. And these were his goals that he set for himself going, you know, I think when his career is all said and done, he, he said he wanted to be first team all NBA. Now that's, that's one of five players. I've heard rumors, like right now it's currently constructed where you've got two guards, two forwards, and a center. Um, I've heard rumors that that eventually may change to just being positionless, so it's just the five best players. But for now, there's there are two guards. So if, if Halliburton was going to be, if he's going to accomplish that first-team All-NBA goal, he's going to have to be one of the top two guards in the league. And that is obviously elite company to, to, to be in. I mean... This last year, I think it's probably Luca, Steph. If I had to guess, you know who? I mean, it's that level of player. Um, we're talking with Luca. You know, took a team to the conference championships. Steph won the title. Um, so for Halliburton to reach first team All NBA, we're talking. Um, you know, that's big time. That's one of the top five players in the league. And 
but frankly, I love the fact that that's, that's what he see, that's what he sees for himself. And, uh, I've mentioned that when I talk, when I dream, when I dream real big about this team and when I dream big for Halliburton, that's, I said the same thing, you know, he's an all NBA player. I don't even know if I said first team, but just the fact that, you know, having him be become an all NBA player and he's clearly set on that. So, um, yeah, so if he reaches that goal, man, that'd be, that would be really good. You know, the last time we've had an All-NBA-type player was Victor Oladipo in that 2017-18 season uh, where Vic wins most improved player and he reached the third-team All-NBA. You know, so he was a top-six guard in the league. Um, so, yeah, we're still a ways away. I don't definitely don't expect to see Halliburton hitting that first-team All-NBA yet. But one, another goal that he had was to become a multiple-time all-star. And so he's, uh, you know, I think, I think next season he'll probably end up being on the door of being an all-star. Uh, and then lastly, and most importantly, he wanted to be an NBA champion. So we're talking first team all NBA, multiple time all-star and an NBA champion. And obviously we hope that that he can, I hope he gets all three of those goals and that the championship is with the Pacers because that's what we're building for. Um, now, can Halliburton be that number one guy on the championship team? I mean, his goals are clearly such, you know. Um, so that was that was awesome, and it's just it was awesome to 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 hear and see him, you know, say those words. And um, I don't know, it's just cool. It's it's really cool to to kind of get a glimpse into you know what he's thinking and where he's want, trying to take his career. And uh, obviously, we just hope it's with the Pacers, you know. And, uh, and I, right now it seems like all arrows are pointing in, in that direction. Like there's no, there's nothing to really be concerned about at this point. He's got the keys and, uh, he's ready to go. He's ready to go. And, uh, okay. So those are the three goals that he laid out. And kind of the next thing that I want to talk about is going into next season or actually, at the, you know, if, after we look at next season, like what would be some progress that. Halliburton would make over this next season towards accomplishing the goals that he set out, you know, in, in that interview next season, he's 22 years old. This is his team. Like what, what does, what, what are some checkpoints that we might be looking for this next season? The first, the, I think the most attainable goal that he could potentially get obviously is, is to be that, uh, to get an, to get an all-star berth last year, if you look at the all-star team uh, or some of the guys that got all-stars appearances, they're not guys that are too far out of, of, of Tyrese's league or his reach. You know, I'm t- we're talking guys like uh, Darius Garland made it. I brought him up earlier. LaMelo Ball, Fred Van Vliet got a roster or an all-star spot. That might have been like a substitution type thing, but still, um, you know, so the, the, off the top of my head, those are just some of the guys kind of like lower end guards that made the all-star team. Uh, so he's got that. But OK, so if, if the goal is to get multiple time all-star next year, what do we want to see? Improved individual statistics. This is going to be his third season in the league. He's going to have the ball. You know, it's it's his ball to give up, basically. And uh, he can basically do whatever he wants to with it. Um, just kind of before we move into what like his stats and stuff might look like last season, you know, the big thing I want to highlight is the fact that he, with the Pacers, um, his stats with the Pacers were like 17 and a half points, nine and a half assists, but he only took 12 field goal attempts 
per game with the Pacers. He did do that at a 50% clip, which is great. Um, In those 12 field goals, five of them were from three-point line. And he obviously shot really good from three-point line last year, 41.6%, which is phenomenal. Anything over 40, I mean, you're just gushing over. And Tyrese last year was 84% from the free throw line. Another important stat that I wanted to bring up about last season as we kind of set the baseline to compare to next season is he had a three to one assist to turnover ratio. So, you know, nine assists, well, he's getting about three turnovers. So I laid kind of that out to say, as we go into next season, I want to, and, 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 and Tyrese mentioned this in that podcast, if you check it out, but he talks about getting more shots up. And it's just like, I, I think he may have specifically said four shots a game, um, but he may not have. I, I talked about, it, or I, I'm thinking about saying like, okay, let's say Tyrese bumps those field goal attempts from 12 to 16. Let's just say he gets four more shots a game. Two of those shots come from three-point line. So now he's getting seven attempts a game. And um, so you're talking four more shots with the percentages that Halliburton hits. As long as he can maintain those shooting percentages or not drop off too far, 20 points and 10 assists is totally doable for Tyrese next year as a pacer. So he could be a double-double guy. I mean, 10 assists is kind of pushing a little bit, but he's going to have better... I, I, I shouldn't say better talent, but maybe better talent. No, definitely better talent, actually. I mean, a healthy, a healthy team, even as young as we are right now, is going to be better than what Tyrese was playing with that, that last part of the pacer season last year. Um, one area that I think... So, okay... So yeah, I think a 20 and 10 is doable. So you're automatically, you, even if the Pacers aren't winning games, uh, with those types of numbers, you're, you're catching eyeballs. And uh, if he can do it at the efficiency that he has always played with throughout his entire career thus far, I mean, you're looking at, he's got a, he's got a case right there for an all-star bid. And, and there you go. He's striking, the, he's, he's getting one of those multiple all-star um, seasons in this next season. I, that's a possibility. There's a, there's a world out there where Halliburton's an all-star next year. Um, I wouldn't say that it has to be, but it's got to be super close and there kind of needs to be a reason why he didn't make it. I don't know if the Pacers maybe just are so bad. I, I really don't know. I, I think there's a world with, where they are actually winning games. Or, or a decent amount of games where it's justifiable to, to get to get that bit, that all-star bid. Um, but they might be losing a ton, a ton of games and, and he's just a bad stat or good stats, bad team kind of guy. That might be the narrative around him, but I don't know. We'll, we'll just have to see. Um, but I think that, you know, you know, last year he was a 50, 40, 84 from the free throw line. I don't see why. I, I think, you know, Halliburton could be a 50, 40, 90 guy when it's all said and done, uh, it, he can shoot 90% from the free throw line. But hopefully next season, we get to see like 20 points a game, 10 assists, and gets that free throw percentage up from 84 to like 86, 87. Just improvement in that area that he's headed headed that way. I mean, just to be a great player, you know, to be able to knock down free throws is huge. Um, yeah, so with, with the increase in... Um, field goal attempts that I see from Halliburton next year, jumping from 12 to 16, it kind of got me thinking like, all right, what would an ideal um, shot distribution, like field goal attempts spread out amongst the team kind of look like next year? 
And when I did this exercise, one of the things that jumps out is that we've, we have current, as the roster is currently constructed, we've got a lot of mouths to feed if everybody stays healthy and, you know, there are no trades. Specifically, when I'm talking about trades, if Buddy Heald and Miles Turner are still on this team next year, there's a lot of mouths to feed. Um, because you obviously want to get shots up for Matherin, Halliburton, Duarte, Jalen Smith, Isaiah Jackson, TJ McConnell, O'Shea Brissett. Then you got Buddy Heald and Miles Turner. All of a sudden, the shot attempts get, you know, they get eaten up pretty quick. Well, last season, so I looked it up. Last season, the Pacers averaged 90 shots per game. That was over the whole season. I don't know what that number was when it was after the Halliburton trade, but I would assume that those field, I would assume those field goal attempts went up with a little bit quicker style of play the Pacers were. So last year, they averaged 90 shots a game. For this exercise, I have them bumping that up to 94. And basically what that shot chart could look like would be at the number one field goal attempts that I want to see on this team would be Benedict Matherin. And I've got Benedict at 17, averaging 17 shots a game. That's the magic number. That's the number that Anthony Edwards averaged as a rookie. He put up 17 shots a game on a team with Carl Towns and D'Angelo Russell. So I think for Matherin, I, I'm not going to be scared or complaining. I, I, I want to see him put up shots. And so hopefully he leads the team in field goal attempts at 17. And then we ride it out from there. So you got Matherin at 17, Tyrese at 16. And then that leaves you Chris Duarte and Jalen Smith. I kind of think those might be our next two guys that I'd like to see next year get the next amount of shots. Put both of those guys at 12 attempts per game. That's a slight increase from where they were last year. Both of those players, uh, like Duarte, he shot 11 times a game last year. So I'm only giving him one extra shot at this point. In, or in this exercise, where Jalen Smith shot 10, so he gets two extra shots. I've got Buddy Heald. If he's on the team, he's going to get shots up. He's got two to keep his value. And so he averaged 15 per game last year with the Pacers. I've got him dropped down to 10 because I'm hoping that Buddy Heald is, has, has got a slightly, I mean, a diminished role. I wanna, I'd rather see Duarte and Matherin, you know, sling that ball than Buddy Heald next year. So... 10 shots is still good enough for a fifth amount on the team for Buddy, so he's still getting some looks. Then I got Isaiah Jackson and Miles Turner at eight shots a game. Then McConnell and Brissett at five apiece, and that leaves us one shot to give to a combination of Terry Taylor, Aaron Neesmith, Goga Pitaze, uh, the, the, young, or the second round picks, Kendall Brown, Andrew Nimhard, uh, the vet, Daniel Tice. I've only got one shot for those guys, which, but if, if you take away that, you still got... I'm counting in nine, nine players for that to, to come up with those field goal attempts. So, you know, if, if the Pacers are, and there's rumors out today uh, and, it, and they've been out for a while, but you know, the Lakers and the Pacers seem to be talking about a potential trade, sending Buddy Heald and Miles Turner to the Lakers and re- getting back like Russell Westbrook, which I assume the Pacers would just buy out. Like, I don't think Russ. Westbrook would actually play for the Pacers. Um, but if the Pacers move, and, 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 oh, and besides getting Westbrook, you'd get some picks. You'd get like a couple first-round picks or at least one first-round pick from the Lakers. It seems like you're kind of getting, you're not getting much for Heald and Turner, but at the same time, if, if, if we could get them off the books, 
And now you're looking at, and just, just for the on-court stuff on the field goal attempts, if I can add 18 more shots to this team without Heald and Turner, now it starts looking really fun. Now, I mean, you really have some room for development for the young guys, and you even get a better look at guys like Terry Taylor, Brissett, Aaron Neesmith, even Goga. If you get rid of Turner, you get to see some more Goga minutes. So I'm. it makes the Pacers a worse team next year. But I think that it's better in the long run if we just decide like, hey, we weren't able to get DeAndre Ayton this offseason. Not that that was necessarily the plan going, you know, that wasn't the master plan, but there was an opportunity that we were going to get get Ayton. And now all of a sudden you're like, okay, this speeds things up a little bit. Maybe we're not quite as worried about um, staying young. But since we didn't, we missed out on him. There's really not like a cornerstone piece out there this season that we're going to, that we're going to get. We got it in, in the draft with Matherin. You, you say bye-bye to Buddy Heald and Miles Turner, and you just let these young guys play. And, um, you know, that kind of leads me into back, back to Halliburton and what some of his goals are. Well, if his goal is to be an NBA champion, and it's going to be with the Pacers, like, how is the team? How does the team look next year? Uh, what is the vibe like on the team that he's, that he's the leader of, you know? Uh, are, are the, is the... Are the players committed? Are they cohesive with the, with the coaching staff? Are they together? Are they hungry? Are they having fun? Like, are they making the right steps? Are we seeing flashes? Are we seeing development? Um, not only from Tyrese Halliburton's individual play, but his teammates. And, and when it comes to him make, being an NBA champion with the Indiana Pacers, you know, a big thing to look for is like, what does he do with, what can he do to assist Benedict Matherin in becoming the best player, the best, the best player that Benedict Matherin can be, you know, um, how can he push him? How can he get him good looks? How can he encourage him? How can he make him, I've always said like, if, if, or I shouldn't say I've always, I've said this before, where it's like, I think best case scenario, Matherin ends up being a 25 plus point per game score in the league. And then that fits so perfect with Halliburton and the way that he plays. But we need a guy that can just get us, get us a bucket in the playoffs when it slows down, just, you know, and, and Matherin seems like he could be that guy. Now there's a whole nother it's, it's, that's a whole nother ball game and like Matherin's development to, to actually reach that. But looking at next season, looking at Tyrese and his individual goals, that NBA champion is a, is a team goal. So if you're looking at progress next season, it's like, okay, if, if Halliburton and Matherin just aren't really gelling on the core or, or whatever, like those are going to be some, some red flags in in my opinion, as we're looking ahead, like, because we need Matherin to be, you know, right there with Halliburton. And in order for us to win a championship, you need you're you're going to need more than one great player. So, how can Tyrese make Matherin better next season? How do their games fit? Um, there was a, I, I I try to I basically try to consume as much Pacers content as I can find, and. 
uh, Matherin was, he did an interview with Andre Igudala and uh, Evan Turner. They've got a podcast called Point Forward, which this was the first time I'd checked it out. And it was only because they had Matherin on it. But, it, you know, it was, uh, there wasn't a ton there. But one of the things that I thought interest, that was interesting was uh, Matherin talked about his relationship with Dalen Terry, who was his his college teammate who ended up getting drafted 18th this this year to the Chicago Bulls. So he's going to be in the Central Division, going to see a lot of Dalen Terry. But Matherin talked about how he had this relationship with Dalen Terry that was just kind of different than all of his other teammates. And uh, it kind of just made me think, I wonder if that's just kind of the way that Matherin does business like he so Terry was obviously one of the best players on the team he he was a you know first round draft pick um and the fact that Matherin could relate to him but maybe not quite to everybody else on the team I wonder if that'll be a similar situation in the NBA where Matherin relates to guys who kind of have the pedigree and who are the best players because that's obviously who he thinks he is and hopefully he is that um so just that relationship with Halliburton and Matherin, I'm just so fascinated to, to get to learn more about and to see kind of evolve in this first season together next year, um, you know, on and off the court. And on the court, I'm, you know, it's, it's, it's going to be crazy because the way that Matherin, like the intensity and kind of the, the bravado that Matherin plays with combined with Halliburton and Halliburton's got some of that too. He's got some brashness about his game. I remember last season, you know, like he would make a good play or, or, or uh, to make basically like the Pacers would go. Could, when, I'm thinking of one. I don't remember the game, but he uh, I think it might have happened twice that, that, that I uh, was aware of where the Pacers make a run to the point that the other team has to call a timeout. And like Halliburton's the one that kind of makes a shot or makes a play that causes the other coach to call a timeout. And Halliburton, you know, was like gesturing, like timeout, like putting it, making his hands a T, uh, like timeout, yo. And um, so, you know, it's kind of like, it's not bad sportsmanship. It's just like, he's into the game. He's feeling the emotion of the game. He's invested into the game. And to kind of like have the other team have to say, all right, uncle, like we need a break. And just kind of be like, yeah, that's right. You need a break. It's just that Halliburton doesn't, on the court, Halliburton is not just like this super friendly guy that's just having fun and doesn't, you know, isn't, isn't he's not afraid to kind of get up into guys and um, make it happen. So just having two guys like that, I just can't wait to see to see what that does. And, and it definitely will look a lot better if the Pacers are winning games. It, that's what was frustrating. Not suit. It wasn't like, oh, I'm losing sleep over this, but some of the antics you know, of like calling timeout and, and, and our team is just, you know, dog shit when it comes to the record. It was like, all right, but you know, who knows? I'm, you know, I don't know what it's like to play an NBA game. Like you can't just set all your emotions aside. Like I'm not blaming Halliburton for it. It just, if the team sucks and you're not winning games, it's, it doesn't have the same effect. Um, but if you're winning games and you carry yourself with that much confidence, I think, man, you know, yeah, it, it could go a long way. And I'm super excited to see that between those two players and how they, the rest of the team kind of feeds off of them um, will be fun to see. Um, so, yeah, how does he make his teammates better, Matherin specifically, next season? 
And then are the Pacers winning games? Uh, are the players, are the coaches, is the front office, like going into the next season, are we expecting to win? Last year, we finished 25 and 57, which is, you know, one of the worst records the team's had in like 40 years. Um, I don't think that anybody's under the impression that we're going to be, you know, a playoff team next year. But there's a difference between, you know, not making the playoffs and then being a team that, you know, finishes with like the third or fourth worst record in the league and is kind of like can get labeled as tanking. There's there's like, you know, there's probably six to ten spots after after those teams that are obviously tanking. Then there's like six to ten teams that are kind of, you know, we're trying to win, but we're just not winning. And I see the Pacers kind of probably being in that class of teams next year. Um but I want to see them win those games. Like I want to see them beat other teams that are in a similar situation, like Detroit, a, a, you know, Central Division team. That there's a lot of there's a lot of buzz right now for the Pistons. You know, having Cade Cunningham and drafting Jaden Ivey, and they got a, they got a couple young guys. They got some young guys. Um, I want to see the Pacers beat that team because so do we. You know, we've got Halliburton and we've got Matherin, and um, next year is going to be important to not just get steamrolled by you know, bad teams that have a lot of t- young talent, like the other young cores. How did the Pacers compete against the other young cores? Pistons, the Magic, the Houston Rockets, the Thunder. Um, all these teams have young players and aren't expected to win in the playoffs next season. But just because we're not going to make the playoffs next season, I don't think that we should just say, like, it doesn't matter if we don't win. I, I think this team has to try to win next year and just be okay with losses. But like getting a good draft pick should not be the number one goal next year for this team because there's a ton of ton of things to if if we're going to be a team that can compete for a championship 3 to 5 year, like maybe maybe 5 is even maybe 3 is way too soon, but just call it 5 years down the line. Um, next year is huge in development for pretty much our entire roster. When you look at it, uh, it's, it's going to be a year for guys to develop and get a chance to evaluate, you know, the strengths and weaknesses of guys like we know Halliburton, but you've got Matherin, Duarte, Jalen Smith, Isaiah Jackson, O'Shea Brissett, Kendall Brown, Aaron Neesmith, Andrew Nimhard. That, that's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Eight, eight guys leaving Halliburton aside. Let's just pretend that Halliburton is is safe. We have one sure thing that's going to win us a championship. Between those eight other other eight guys, how many of them are going to be hits? They're not all going to hit. Um, how many of them could be around in five years for the Pacers and contributing on a team that has a chance to win a championship? Um, I don't know. Obviously, I really want to see Matherin do well and Jalen Smith or Isaiah Jackson or both of those guys. Maybe O'Shea Brissett. He could have a big year this year. I mean, we, he, he fills a position of need, so he should he should get a lot of run, I would think. Um, how good could O'Shea be? Uh, but that's just kind of what I see next year. Uh, maybe we could improve our wins by 10. So go from 25 and 57 to 35 and 47. If you look at last year's standings, that type of record would put you about 20th, um, 
which would then, you know, so you're not in the play-in tournament. You're not, you're basically just right below the play-in teams. And that look makes you look at a mid to late lottery pick. So you're talking 10 to 13, 14 range um, with the chance to move up. And then you also have, you know, we all, we have, we know we have quite a few draft picks for next year. I think three, three, we have our own, which is probably going to be the most valuable. Um, and then Boston's and maybe Cleveland's if Cleveland makes the playoffs. So we have three, we have, you know, we're going to have picks, we're going to have money. And then you just, I think you just look at this next season and, and really evaluate what you have and then start making decisions on what to do with all these young players. Who are we going to keep? Who can we trade? Uh, what can we get back? What do we need? All those things. And then you're going to also be able to add in our lottery pick at, at the minimum. Um, and, then, and, then, and then the expectations will kind of evolve going into the next season. And maybe we're a fringe, maybe we're a playing team or, 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 you know, an eight, seven seed. Um, it, it's going to be a process uh, if the Pacers don't make a huge splash with like, if they would have got DeAndre Ayton, for example, something like that next season to really speed up this uh, rebuild. So all that to just basically say Halliburton realistically next year could hit on one of those three goals. I don't see him being a first-team All-NBA next year. Uh but he could potentially be an all-star. And uh, all right, so the next thing I want to do is I just basically listed out, I, I thought of every team and who's their point guard or their pair of point guards. And, and just let's just kind of rank these guys out and let's see what we have here. What, what is the point guard hierarchy going into next season? Well, there's six names that I'm going to just throw out there right now, and then we're going to move on. Uh, I've got Luka Doncic and Steph Curry. They're kind of in a class of their own at the point guard position as of right now. You got John Morant. He's kind of in a class of his own as well. He could, you know, you can't you can't say that Ja is uh, never going to be better than Luka, but Luka and Steph they just seem to be a little bit. They they seem to have an a, there's a tier of of true super duper stars, and that's Luka and Steph. And then I think you have to take a, another step down. And that's where I'd put John Morant, but he's in a class of his own. And then I'd go take another step down. And you got Damian Lillard, Trey Young, and Chris Paul. Um, that's that's the top six point guards in the NBA. I think going into next season on paper, that that people would probably would would people would probably say. Um, what I really want to kind of get into, well, things to note of those six players. Steph is 34, Damian Lillard's 32, and Chris Paul's 37. Now, Luka and Ja are 23, and Trey Young is 24. So, you know, with if you're looking at Halliburton and, and he's talking about, you know, or not, I shouldn't say he's talking about, his goal is to be all NBA. Um, he's going to need to crack that top six, especially this, because this is just looking at point guards. And in all NBA, you're talking shooting guards as well. So, um, but I think if you look, it's probably not going to happen next year. But if you fast forward five years, you can kind of pro- you take Steph and Dame and Chris Paul out of it. But he's going to have to eventually pass um, guys like Trey or or, or Ja. But uh, um, 
what was I going to get at here? How, how do I want to attack this? So I basically, I've got a list of all these players that are point guards. Um, so I said the top six already. Then there's a, I've got a category just of guys that are veterans who are arguably better than Tyrese Halliburton at this point, but doesn't necessarily mean I would pick them over Halliburton. Like I'm more, I'm definitely more excited to have Halliburton than any one of these guys. I wouldn't trade Halliburton for, uh, there's three of them. I've got Drew Holiday, obviously a champion with the Bucks. Kyrie Irving, he's a champion with the Cavs. I mean, when Kyrie's playing, like in the playoffs last season, he was, he gets the respect of like KD. It's, it's, he is a superstar. And then Fred Van Vliet would be the other guy who was an all-star last year. I just don't really, I'm not ranking the point guards. Um, and, and, but I just don't really want to talk about Drew Holiday, Kyrie Irving, or Fred Van Vliet. But I'm also saying like, hey, these guys definitely deserve some respect. And I'm not just assuming that going into next season, Halliburton or like this tier of player that I think surrounds Halliburton is better than those three guys. So I'm just going to, give them the benefit of the doubt and just say, okay, I listed out the top six. Here's three more. And then now we're looking at, um, or, or basically, I'm not saying that, that Holiday, Irving, and Van Vliet are uh, better either than this class, but I'm just putting them in it. And so we're, ta- we're looking at a range of seven through 19 as, as, it, as it looks at with point guards. Um, okay, th- this is really where I, I want to and nail this this part because if Halliburton's going to be an all-star if he's going to be an NBA if he's going to be all NBA these are the types of players that he's I think he's currently mentioned with but he's going to need to separate himself or you know separate himself with maybe one or two other players from the rest of this field and I'm talking okay so once again this is from 7 to 19 as far as top point guards in the league and I'm including Holiday, Irving, and Van Vliet in those top 19. So I'm calling those guys top 19 players. Okay, so here you go. I've got, it basically breaks into two different tiers in this, in this kind of class two point guard. Um, there's a tier that's a little bit older, and then there's a younger tier where I've got Halliburton. So from the range of like 24 to 26, we've got Jamal Murray, uh, who has has proven that he can play in the playoffs. He missed, if not all, most of last season for an injury. So he's he's a little injury prone, um, but he has the pedigree, although never making an all-star team um, or being an NBA champion, he's still, a, he's still a bona fide stud. And he's somebody that I don't think you can just say Halliburton's better than Jabal Murray. But let's put this next season in and see what Halliburton can do. And then if we were to do the same exercise a year from today, like I think Halliburton could, it could say, you could say Halliburton's better than Murray. But for now, he's in this same segment. I got DeJounte Murray here at 26. He made an all-star team last year. He put up ridiculous numbers. Um, He got traded from the Spurs to the Hawks to play alongside Trey Young, who's a guy in that upper echelon, that top six currently. if if Murray and Young take off like they you know like they could, um, I could see him being a problem. He could be better than Halliburton, uh, but there could be also a world world where that combo doesn't work, um, and you know maybe Trey Young's actually going to start falling down this list, and that makes room, more room for Halliburton to go up. Uh, nonetheless, 
Jamal Murray, DeJounte Murray, um, another guy, De'Aaron Fox, Halverton's former teammate. He's kind of it. I, I put him in here. He's 24. The verdict's still out. I mean, he averaged 23 points a game, four rebounds, five assists. He doesn't shoot the three well. His team loses a lot of games. But at 24, I, you can't say that he's not done improving. And uh, so he's in this mix. Shea Gilgis Alexander, he's also 24. Good size, six foot six. Average 24 points a game, five rebounds, six assists. Similarly to Fox, shot 30% from three, and his team lost a bunch of games. Uh, that's the, to me, it's like, in order to create this separation, all these guys in this tier have good stats. It's going to be who's winning. And that's why if you look at those first four guys I just mentioned, Jamal Murray, DeJounte Murray, De'Aaron Fox, Shea Gillis, Alexander, Murray probably, or Jamal Murray, with that playoff success, he's probably looked upon more favorably in the league. Um, and then honorable mention in this kind of age range of point guards in the second tier, I threw in Lonzo Ball. I like Lonzo. Um, he's, you know, he's actually missed quite a bit of time with, with various different injuries. He's 25. I don't know. I just don't feel fully confident saying that Halliburton is better than Lonzo. I would certainly take Halliburton over Lonzo. But this is just an honorable mention. And Lonzo, um, you know, he doesn't count towards that 7 to 19. I probably have him more in like 20 to 21 range. Um, okay, so then here's the next. This is, this is Halliburton's class of point guards. I've got one, two, three, four, five, six players and an honorable mention. And then that would kind of round out that top 20 uh, point guard going into next season. Now, I think a lot of people would, would choose most of these players over Halliburton would be my guess, but I think going into next season, he could rewrite the rewrite or change people's opinions, putting it that way. So these, all these guys are 20 to 22 years old. So that first class was 24 to 26. Now you got another wave of point guards coming through the league. And there's two guys that I'd say, probably everybody would pick as the top two. That's Cade Cunningham, point guard for Detroit, more like a point forward, great size, six foot six. His rookie campaign, he averaged 17, five and five. His, you know, he, he can't shoot the three or not yet. He didn't shoot the three well his rookie season and his team lost a bunch of games. So I'm not just crowning Cade Cunningham better than Tyrese Halliburton, but I'm sure a lot of people would choose Cade over Halliburton if they could pick at this point of who's going to have the, the better career. But this Cade Cunningham, to me, is, is somebody that Halliburton has to go after and has to prove, like, hey, I'm better than Cade. He's in the Central Division, um, and he's, we're going to see him a lot. It's going to be, you know, that Cade cunningham Jaden Ivey combo. It's going to be fascinating to see matched up against... Tyrese and Matherin. Um, so you got Cade Cunningham. Next guy, LaMelo Ball, 21 years old, made an all-star team last year. Great size, six foot seven, averaged 20 points, seven rebounds, seven assists, shot 38 from the field, 38% from three, excuse me. Um, really good player. And one, another guy who I would say is probably got a better, uh, or people probably high, People hold in a higher, opinion, a higher opinion of than maybe Tyrese at this point. But 
once again, I think definitely that's a, these are peers. These are peers to Tyrese Halliburton. These are guys that it's going to matter whenever he faces up against them when it comes to are you an all-NBA type player? Are you, are you an all-star? Um, yeah. Next guy, Darius Garland. Another Central Division guy from Cleveland. Uh, Garland's, you know, put up big numbers last year. He made an all-star team. 21 points, 3 rebounds, 8 assists. Garland's kind of like... Um, he, he, he came on real strong last year. He looks good. Um, I think, you know, I definitely, I would take, I would choose Tyrese over Garland, but I get, you know, people that, that are big Garland fans. Um, he's only 22. So he obviously has a ton of potential as well. All these guys are so young. Um, that's why next, another reason why next season is going to be big as far as evaluating these players. Um, so in this class, Cade Cunningham, LaMelo Ball, Darius Garland. Now I'm going to say Tyrese, our guy, um, six foot five. So good size, but not as good of size as like Cade or LaMelo, but much better than a guy like Garland or uh, somebody I'll talk to also like Tyrese Maxey is another guy who I've got in this class, a player um, a little bit lower down, but, you know, smaller guards. Halliburton's definitely not small, um, but he's not that big either. Um yeah, I've talked a ton about Halliburton, so so we know what he's got uh, going into next season. Another another young point guard that I think is in this class would be Josh Giddy from the Oklahoma City Thunder. He's only twenty, but he's six foot eight. Last year, he you know he put up some triple doubles on a team that lost a lot of games. Not a great three point shooter, um, you know, but I think he's got to be in the conversation. You know, as a rookie last year, putting up those type of numbers with that size and and his age, like you know. He's somebody that, that, you know, Halliburton and shares, I'd, I'd say he's a peer of Tyrese. Like, it's not, it's not for sure that Tyrese is better than Josh Giddey. Um, Tyrese Maxey, okay. So Maxey's 21, point guard, Philadelphia 76ers. Smaller guy, six foot two, uh, but he's played in some big games. He's played in the playoffs. Um, he shoots the three really well, 42%. Last year, he sh- you know, he's on a team with Joel Embiid. James Harden, Tobias Harris, and he still averaged 17 points a game, three rebounds and four assists. So, you know, he's, he's pretty good. I, I like it. Um, I watched, I was really uh, wanting to just like watch this Pacers team with Halliburton on it. And so I went back and found a game that they had against the 76ers. I wanted to see the matchup between Halliburton and, and Maxi. And right off the bat, um, Maxi got up into Halliburton in, in this in this particular game um, to the point where I was like, oh, damn, like, I don't I don't remember this. But it was uh, it was one of the last games of the season. And it was like the very first possession of the game. Tyrese Maxi picks up Halliburton full court. And you could tell that Halliburton just like wasn't ready to deal with it. And he was forced into a he was forced into picking up his dribble and kind of making a play. Um, that it just didn't go anywhere. And this was a game where the, the 76ers just pounced on the Pacers early. Um, but Halliburton was really struggling with the ball pressure that Maxi was putting on him um, to the point where he wasn't even bringing the ball up anymore. He, he kind of deferred to TJ McConnell for a couple of possessions. Um, I don't know. It, that, and that's just a little segment. Uh, point being that Tyrese Maxi playing behind two guys who are 
all-star, all-NBA type players to have the kind of impact that he's already having. Um, I wouldn't want to be. I wouldn't want to write Hall or Maxi off at this point. Um, and then the honorable mention that I've got for for the la- for this age group would just be Dyson Daniels. Um, I don't even know if Dyson Daniels is going to start. I think there would be a point. There would be a starting point guard's position open for the Pelicans. The Pelicans are going to be uh, one of the teams that you know. Uh, me, I'm personally really excited to see. They they had a good run in the playoffs this year. Who was it that they played? Uh, it was Phoenix in the first round that they took to maybe six games. Um, but they've got some. I mean, Zion coming back next year, and Brandon Ingram and CJ McCollum. Um, they've got a lot of good talent. Herb, Herb Jones and and Dyson Daniels is a guy who I was pretty high on going into the draft. In summer league, he got injured, I think, in the very first game. So we didn't get to see much of Dyson Daniels. He's only 19. Uh, you know, one of the things, he's got great size. And, and uh, I, I kind of looked him up, and there was a, a clip I saw of one of the assistant coaches for the Pelicans. It was Jared, or Jared Collins or Jaron Collins um, talking about Dyson and just how he's, you know, done everything that they've asked and how good of a, a player he thinks he's going to be. So... I'm leaving him in there and, you know, but not counting him as, as far as uh, top 19, but um, let's see. Other than that, like, so who will Tyrese be competing against for the all-star all NBA teams over the next five years? Those guys that I just mentioned, I think are going to be the, the majority of it. So how does he separate himself um, with, with those, with those guys in that class? Once again, I think that, that, it's Cade Cunningham, LaMelo, Darius Garland, Josh Giddy, Tyrese Maxey, potentially Dyson Daniels, and then our guy Halliburton right there. Maybe he can come out on top uh, as number one, and, and he's going to be well on his way of reaching some of those goals. Um, yeah, you know, this has kind of been – I'm just kind of going over I, – I, I also listed guys that are, you know, past their prime – uh, like Lowry and Westbrook and Wall and Conley, I don't think you can say that they're they were. I think Halliburton is clearly more valuable than those guys. And then guys that are you know good still have some good years on them, but I just don't think I would I wouldn't take them over Halliburton. And that'd be guys like Jalen Brunson who just signed a big contract with the Knicks. Marcus Smart played in the NBA Finals. Uh, Jalen Suggs. Markel Fultz, the guy, the point guard, Cole Anthony, the point guards over there with Orlando, you know, they've got a number one pick in Fultz and a high lottery pick in Suggs. I could see why, you know, maybe those guys would, would, would qualify to be in that class, but, um, you know, you got to draw the line somewhere. And so, uh, that's where we're at. So I think, you know, with Halliburton, I think he's for sure a top 20 point guard. No question about it at this point from my taste. He's more of like a top 12 point guard um, for sure with the potential to to be, you know, next season top 10. I, I think that would be would 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 be uh, well within his grasp if we redo this in a year. So, all right. I know that was kind of uh, that was a little all over the place. I'm not sure how to kind of attack that list, but uh, we did our best here. And that was uh that was what I had to say about Tyrese Halliburton and the, the hierarchy of the NBA point guards heading into the next season and where he fits in there. Um, and that ought to, that ought to do it. So 
appreciate you checking out the pod. Uh, last week, or not last week, but the last podcast I did at the end, I mentioned this app called Fountain. If you want to, it's a podcast app. If you want to check out podcasts and and you uh, you use Fountain, you can earn uh, Sats by listening. Um, and I noticed that uh, one thing I didn't say in the last podcast about Fountain that I'll say now is you also can stream sats to the creator. So it's like, okay, this is where this is where he's asking for money. It's like, no, I'm not, I'm not asking for money. But I just think it's cool because when I use it, I like to earn. So there's podcasts that I listen to that that aren't set up. So I earn sats when I listen to those, but there's no way to like stream those sats back to the creator. But there are podcast other podcasts that I listen to where um, they are set up where you can stream sats to the creator and also earn sats at the same time. Um, I think that is a beautiful thing. It's value for value. If you, if you find value in uh, anything that, if you enjoy the podcast at all, like it's appreciated to kind of pass it back. I know I like doing that as a podcast consumer, sending it back to the, to the creators or sending them some and then also being able to keep some for myself. Um, but anyways, I just I'm uh, I just mentioned it because I really think it's a it's a really cool idea um, for podcasting and podcast consumption, in my opinion. So, um, and I noticed a few people streamed me sats, and uh, it's pretty pretty remarkable. It, it's pretty cool. I appreciate those those who did. Um, okay, that's a wrap, Jack. And uh, we will. Uh, I don't know what what we'll talk about next, but we'll we'll do it when it comes around. Uh, so, so peace out and thanks for listening.